Good evening, dummies. Monday evening, May 17th, 7.15 p.m., episode 154. Fantastic to be here tonight. I always enjoy Mondays. It feels a little strange having the weekend off and not speaking to you, so it's good to uh, have a conversation. Welcome to Don't Unfriend Me. Tonight, we are diving into a whole bunch of stuff. I want to buy your children. Joe Biden didn't say that. Probably would say, I want to sniff your children. Okay, that's not true. Wants to sniff their hair seen the hair thing it's interesting i mean they went down so hard on trump okay that doesn't sound good let me try that again they came down on trump so hard but never hold joe biden accountable for his sniffing what you call that a fetish whatever i don't know everyone's got their thing listen we all Behind closed doors, have some things that we probably wouldn't disclose on Facebook, but I digress. We're going to talk about it, a tax credit for your kids. You don't really need anything except to have children. There's no pre-qualifier. There's no need. There's no income. If you can copulate and conceive a child, you get a tax credit. It almost sounds like welfare. We'll go into it tonight. Pirates are pirates. I know that seems redundant because pirates are pirates, but there is a new modern-day pirate. And it doesn't matter whether they're a swashbuckler with a cutlass with no teeth and a parrot on their shoulder, or if they have no teeth, live in their mom's basement and don't have a job. Hackers are most indeed pirates. We're going to talk about that. And what do you mean I have to pay for that? It's almost like a Jeopardy question. The answer is college. More and more people want forgiveness for making stupid decisions. And we'll go into this generation and why Joe Biden shouldn't give into it. No matter how many votes he may receive, we would ask him to stand pat and do the right thing. I don't have high expectations, but alas, here we are. Let's get into the joke tonight. It's going to be a long one. A little boy is dressed as a pirate captain for Halloween. He knocks on the door of a house and a lady answers. She says, well, well, little boy, what are you supposed to be? And he says, I'm a pirate captain. She says, well, where are your buccaneers? And he says, right underneath my bucking hat. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. I am ready to get into it. I hope you are as well. Who am I? What do I do? My name is Matt with Don't Unfriend Me. Welcome to episode 154. Thank you so much. We've been getting a lot of feedback and people have been very, very positive. A lot of great comments on the videos. We seem to be clicking up. If you would do me a favor, please like, share, and subscribe. That means the world to me. It helps. Keeps me motivated. I don't really want money for this. I don't make a damn thing off of this yet. Maybe someday. But what definitely helps is when you do that like, follow, share, and subscribe. We're almost at 20,000, and it would uh, really mean a great deal to me if you would do that. You can find me right here. Here are all my social sites, and you can follow me there. If that really isn't your brand of vodka or particular brand of tea, you can go to what everyone does, which is www.dontunfriendme.com. If you hate social media, you can still find me here. Don'tunfriendme.com. You can look at my catalog, my videos, my blog posts, whatever else, probably some pictures and 
other things, but they're all rated G. I'm sorry. If you want something harder than that, you're going to have to send me a private message. Just kidding. That's not true. I want to buy your children. No, I don't want to buy your children. Joe Biden wants to buy your children. That's why his name is Biden. That play, that's not even a word. It's buy in it, but Biden, whatever. The White House on Monday reminded Americans that families would start receiving direct cash payments in their bank accounts starting in July as President Joe Biden continues to implement his coronavirus rescue package. Quote, with today's announcement, about 90% of families with children will get this new tax relief automatically starting in July, Biden said in a statement released to reporters on Monday morning. Nothing that the payments send Americans the message like help is here during the coronavirus pandemic. And it's interesting. I thought Joe Biden wanted to cancel all the tax credits. I thought tax credits were a bad idea. Well, wait a second. It's all stage show. It's theater. Of course, he's going to give you money back during coronavirus. But then you will see taxes increase, probably after the midterms, but probably before the way he's spending. The Treasury Department and the IRS announced Monday they would begin issuing these payments for families on July 15th and continue them on the 15th of each month. So it's not just a one-time credit. This is now modern-day unemployment or welfare. The federal government will give a monthly payment of $300 per child under six. My little bastard just got a birthday. What the hell? I'm missing 50 bucks a month. And $250 per child older than six on families that qualify. Okay, well, it's families that qualify. It must be the impoverished. It must be people with like one leg. This might be people who have cancer, leukemia, or are suffering from a COVID death of a family member, right? Those are the qualifications. It has to be. Nobody is just frivolously going to give away money for nothing. Actually, yes, they are. The monthly benefits are reduced for couples earning more than $150,000. Son of a bitch. Or individuals earning more than $75,000. Son of a bitch. The money will be released to families whether they are employed or not. So wait a second. Hold on a second. What the fuck? I make more than 150 and my little shit's over six, so therefore I get deducted? But people who don't even have a fucking job get more than me? This doesn't seem right. There's something rotten in Denmark. Does this make sense to anybody? Uh, The answer must be here. I will keep reading. (laughs) Continuing a trend that analysts fear that will slow some workers from returning to work as the pandemic coronavirus diminishes some workers. Basically what they mean is the forever unemployed. The additional cash will also boost inflation, which the White House hopes, hope, folks, hope isn't a strategy, will be temporary as the economy recovers. It's a very presumptive as the economy recovers. I have a little hint. The economy has recovered. Unfortunately, this frivolous spending, this wanton spending and creation of more money that doesn't exist is creating inflation, which ultimately will cripple the dollar and will devalue the dollar, hence creating an unstable economy. The housing market will collapse. The banks will collapse. We all have seen this before. Prices will raise. It's called inflation. The White House said Friday they were surprised by the rise in consumer prices in March, the largest jump since 2008. 
Quote, so we hadn't forecasted that. The forecasters hadn't expected that, White House Chair of the Council of Economic Advisors Cecilia Rouse said to reporters at the Daily Press Briefing. Then why does she have a fucking job? If you didn't see this, if you're a weatherman and you miss a hurricane and everyone else is saying, hey, there's a hurricane off the coast and, and they're like, no, I don't think it's a hurricane. No, it really is. No, it looks like a tropical depression. It's a cat five. It's the size of Texas. No, it just looks like a slow downward pressure of cold air. It's going to miss us. Should you have a job tomorrow? Really? Should you? No. How about all the people that said, oh, President Trump can't win the election. It's going to be Hillary Clinton. Why are the same pundits on the air? This dipshit added the Federal Reserve was also, quote, a bit surprised by the jump. Oh, no, the Fed didn't see something coming. God forbid. How is that possible? Rouse said the White House expected some choppiness, some, because spending, what, $3.5 trillion? Just some. Let's make it $6 trillion. Oh, yeah, just a little bit more choppiness, just a, just a tad. Not a lot. In the economic numbers, as the pandemic ended and the economy continued its recovery, we saw this choppiness. Here's the problem. In 20, and I want to break this down for you because I did some math, and that doesn't happen very often. So enjoy this. In 2021, states of children between 0 and 18, those ages is 74.1 million people. First of all, people need to stop having kids. Seriously, 74.1 million. We're all going to get the pillow over the face. I mean, when we're like 60, this generation, are you kidding me? Let's just say that all of those kids are over six years old, which they aren't. There are 23 million kids between zero and five. There are 24 million between six and 11. And remember, it's six and above. You're missing another 4 million kids between the ages of five and six. So that's 27 million. It's the highest demographic of children will be getting the 300. Like I said, there's 24 million at six to 11. And another 24 million between 12 and 17. That's all the kids, 70 some odd million. You want to times that by 90% because the pre-qualifier is what? What's the pre-qualifier? We don't know. It's just 90%. And honestly, what it means is it's the 10% who are making far above the 150,000, 250, 275, whatever it may be, small business owners that have a higher income, whatever it looks like, that 10% is most assuredly going to get fucked, even though they pay more taxes than everyone else combined underneath them. So it comes down to about 66 million people, give or take, a million or there. Who cares? This is the government. They don't care. That is equivalent to $15 billion, billion dollars a month. Anyone do the math? $180 billion a year. $180 billion. We're just going to give it away. What's that going to do? Well, we know it's going to create inflation. We know it's going to lower the dollar. I already said that. But what it's also going to do is make a false positive. The economy will continue to be stimulated. We will see growth in the stock market. People will spend. Retail will be up. People will reinvest the money. They always do because people are fucking idiots. They won't save. They won't pay off their water bill or electric bill or pay their rent. They'll go out and buy a new iPod that's purple. And Apple will sell 98 billion of them. Billion. Sold 98 billion. That would, 
a lot of phones per person on the planet. It doesn't matter. Knock it off. The point is they'll sell a shit ton. Why? Because people don't save. People don't use their common sense. The thing is, is that do you think this money's free? When our taxes go up by $300 a month, which they will, because that's what's going to happen. Obama did it when he spent $3 trillion. Our taxes went up $100 a year for eight years in a row. From eight years, $800 more in taxes every year, like clockwork. I would get a raise January 1st. Screw you, pal. Here's $100 more out of your taxes. So my raise was like $27. That was on a $3 trillion spend. What do you think is going to happen when he's spending $9 trillion? 6.5. You take what Trump did and what Biden did. It's almost $10 million, $10 trillion. Where's this money coming from? It's coming from your pocket. It's obvious. Two months into the most disruptive crisis of our lifetimes, we've all become accustomed to words and phrases such as unprecedented, severe, and social distancing. Although these words are perhaps less jarring than they were prior to the onset of the coronavirus outbreak, the China virus outbreak, they truly do capture the impact of this health crisis on the economy. Now in the years to come, so what is being done to mitigate some of the immediate as well as intermediate impacts? Simply put, unprecedented stimulus to tide us over until we get the economy going once again. It is going. People don't want to work. Stop the unemployment. The focus here is a domestic one pertaining solely to the U.S. and the potential impacts of the stimulus measure on U.S. tax policy. But similar scenarios will likely play out across the globe, all countries. Much of the stimulus is well known and documented at this point. But to better illustrate what we may need to happen down the line when it comes to taxes, let's walk through some of the well-known stimulus measures as of this moment in time. The CARES Act, several weeks ago and months ago, through bipartisan support, a bill known as the CARES Act was signed into law, authorizing $2.2 trillion in outlays focused on direct payments, payroll subsidies, business support, and other economic support items like funding the rest of the fucking world. And on the breaking news, I'm sorry, I'm cussing. My show is now vulgar. I I started out that way. Then I was nice. And then I just said, fuck it. I'm done. I can't, I cannot not cuss. If you're offended by that, I'm sorry. I won't even bleep it out anymore. It's just, this won't be the show for you. I'm done not cussing. I, I don't, I just can't do it anymore. On the breaking news front, another 500 billion in stimulus is pending approval by Congress. And this was on April 23rd. These are not small numbers. Together, they put the total amount of COVID federal stimulus as just under $3 trillion, and that's just Mr. Biden. That's not including the first stimulus and the second stimulus. We've never seen the U.S. government commit to an outlay of this magnitude aside from the two world wars. To put this in context, the federal budget deficit coming out of this is expected to be 16.1% using consensus estimates. As a percentage of annual tax revenue, it works out to be over 80% of annual tax receipts based on 2019 revenues. What does that mean? It means they're not small frickin' numbers. In addition, there has been a significant level of support and promise of additional support from the U.S. Fed. The central bank has stated that it will provide nearly unlimited quantitative easing. 
And this support will keep to lending costs as low as possible. This could come up in the upwards of $7 trillion in lending support, expanding the Fed balance sheet up to $11 trillion. For context, we started the year with the Fed balance sheet at $4 trillion. Isn't that an oxymoron? A balance sheet of negative $4 trillion. That ain't a balance. That's a deficit. Economics 101, folks. State and local governments outside the federal level. There are additional measures being enacted relating to economic support and income support at the state and local level. There are limited estimates right now on what these may look like. As much such efforts are only just beginning, but expectations are that that these measures will be significant as well. We won't hit on the why here. That is, why is all this stimulus needed? It's abundantly clear that these levels of economic support are absolutely necessary due to the near standstill of the economy, right? For more detailed explanation, people like Paul Edelman and Eric Ristabian have written numerous blog posts on whys and hows related to all of this. Tax policy impacts are a turning point. Let's just turn to the 800-pound gorilla in the room or the elephant in the room whatever euphemism you desire. The million-dollar question, or in this case, the trillion-dollar question is, how are we going to pay for this? The answer is honestly not yet known and might not be known for a while. Interesting. Let's go on a road trip. Let's not look at a map. Let's assume the bridge is finished. We can recreate speed, and we'll just go off the cliff. We'll hope for the best. Essentially, we have a lot more questions than we do answers. What we also don't know yet is, how much is this going to cost us all totaled? Hundreds of billions of dollars is likely a safe answer for now. And trillions of dollars is not a reach. And remember, that's not originally the loan we're giving ourselves that nobody has the capital for. So it's going to wind up costing us in interest and grab-ass politics for the rest of the world. Potential exact amounts, however, are not yet fully known. What is the impact on tax revenues going to look like? While the situation is ongoing and changing daily, it is safe to assume that tax revenues this year are going to be severely impacted. Notably, this impact could carry over for years to come. The early congressional <coughs> excuse me. The early congressional budget office, the CBO, estimate for this released April 16th is sobering. A 1.8 trillion dollar increase in the budget deficit at minimum over the next decade, is forecasted by the CBO. How could this play out for tax policy? Well, there are many different nuanced scenarios of what this may look like. People believe that there are two central ones most likely, one more positive and one more negative. Both are negative to me. Scenario one, we have to pay for this. Tax increases for all. This has been said many times before, and it will be said again. We are more likely to see tax increases than decreases in the future. And let me be clear, this is not what I or we personally desire as a civilized society, but is the reality based on probabilities. COVID-19 and its economic impacts nearly assures us of this. And this is in addition to the already daunting entitlement math that preceded this. Today, we have among the lowest tax rate U.S. citizens have experienced since the inception of the tax code. This is not likely to last. In addition, there has been an increased disparity of who has been paying the majority of taxes. The top 5% of income earners contribute almost 60% of all individual earner revenues, while the bottom 50% of earners contribute only 3% of tax revenues. I have a tickle in my throat, can you tell? 
Looking at these numbers, one can envision a scenario where the government both increases tax rates across the spectrum, as well as seeks to broaden the taxpayer base. The cost of this situation will be undoubtedly large, and we will somehow need to pay for it. This scenario is not a desirable one by most, but most of us didn't expect or want the situation we are in now either. Scenario two, we grow our way out of this with a little more government support. We can expect that the federal government will be just as aggressive to help pull the U.S. economy out of the funk it's in due to COVID-19 as it was to stabilize things during the pandemic-related economic shutdown. Well, that was Donald Trump's initiative. I certainly don't think that that's Joe Biden's. For clues, we can look back to the period after World War II. In the post-war years, the U.S. government was aggressive in its policy support actions, as well as in its interest rate policy. The government effectively capped rates, permitting a relatively long period of borrowing at low rates to allow innovation growth and capital infusions to help us grow our way out of this. I'm not suggesting that this will be the course of action, exactly, but there are clues in history and certain type of signs to the present to suggest that this could occur. There is a key difference, however. Coming out of World War II, America experienced a significant technological boom that gave us many of today's luxuries. Televisions, phones, computers, microwave ovens, and airplanes, to name a few. That level of advancement and growth was made possible by technological breakthroughs, and that occurred during the war. What are the positive economic developments to come post-COVID-19, if any? Well, Bill Gates isn't going to be richer, I'll tell you that much. You see this? God, his wife's got to be stoked. Tax increases to come. At the end of the day, even with Scenario 2, the U.S. saw sky-high income tax rates in the subsequent years and decades. Put simply, all bills come due, this one included. While it is possible we could see a continuation of low taxes for years to come, even beyond 2025, this is when the current individual income tax rates are set to expire and revert back to the high pre-2017 levels. It is safe to assume that the rates will increase going forward. This appears especially true when thinking about this in terms of probabilities and the bills we will have to pay, plus the deficits we have at present. Remember, we're well over $31 trillion now. It's not like all of that came today. Why don't we just put all that off? Who cares, right? I mean, at this point, what difference does it make, as Hillary Clinton would say? What can we do to prepare for higher tax rates? Well, we can align with ourselves today in preparation for tomorrow. We all know how taxes work. We all have to pay them every year. Think about how tax management and long-term investing, when done side by side, can be a solution for an unwanted tax problem. Lastly, you aren't alone. Get yourself representation and find a tax accountant to review and file every deduction as possible. Your ultimate goal is to get to zero at the end of the year. And honestly, with the way Biden is spending, it's a good chance that this will happen no matter what. Pirates are pirates. The Colonial Pipeline, which provides roughly 45% of East Coast oil and gas and jet fuel, was hacked last week, as I reported on the show earlier. I'll link it right here. By a group called Darkside sassy. The cyber attack forced the pipeline owners to shut down operations, leading to long gas lines in many American cities. The incident has sparked a long overdue discussion about how to deal with what may be one of the biggest national security threats of the 21st century. And on my show, I have said it repeatedly, the next war will be cyber. It will not be on the ground and pound. A host of countries, including the United States, have sophisticated cyber operations. The Chinese have penetrated large swaths of our infrastructure. Russia and North Korea 
have sown mischief on several occasions. Last year, Russia hacked into the cybersecurity firm SolarWinds, whose clients include Microsoft and numerous U.S. government agencies, among them the Defense Department, the Department of Homeland Security, the State Department, the National Nuclear Security Administration, and the Treasury. In 2014, the Guardians of Peace... Where did they get these names? Was Guardians of the Galaxy taken? Now more commonly known as the Lazarus Group... Oh, my God. <laughs> ...hacked into Sony Pictures' computers and stole a treasure trove of information, including emails between executives, personal data, salary information, and copies of unreleased films. I don't know. That's pretty cool. The hacker's stated aim was to prevent the release of the comedy The Interview, if you all remember this, which made fun of North Korea's crapulent boy king Kim Jong-un. The FBI designated Guardians of Peace a North Korean state-sponsored hacking organization. It all sounds so futuristic, but sometimes when we get a glimpse of future threats, it's wise to rummage through the lessons of the past. As metaphors go, describing the internet as a vast ocean isn't half bad, more like the confines of space. There are enormous continental powers such as Facebook. There are archipelagos of smaller sites linked to each other in various ways. There are even remote lawless islands and hard-to-access backwaters like the dark web. And as with a real ocean, commerce and communication depend on being able to navigate it. In the 18th and 19th centuries, being a seafaring nation brought power, prosperity, and prestige. And it brought pirates. Which brings me back to Dark Side. Sure, it's a criminal organization, and its members should be brought to justice. But it's also fascinating. Darkseid's hackers claim to be bound by an ethical code, saying they won't hack hospitals or schools. Probably should hack hospitals and schools, honestly. We are apolitical, quote. We do not participate in geopolitics. Do not need to tie with us a defined government and look for other, our motives. Spelling mistake. These obviously are very intellectual human beings that can't spell. Darkseid said in a statement, quote, our goal is to make money and not creating problems for society. <laughs> right, so shut down the pipeline. That didn't create problems for anybody. There's no reason to take them at their word. Darkseid will not attack Russian targets, no doubt in part because it's based there, according to U.S. officials, and operates with a wink and a nod from Vladimir Putin. This is nothing new. Pirates and privateers often cut side deals with local authorities. Pirates also had their own codes. In his magnificent book, The Invisible Hook, The Hidden Economics of Pirates, Peter Leeson describes the incredibly sophisticated, ethical, and even constitutional systems created by pirates to regulate and guide their profession. No, one of the rules is not to eat Doritos, Mountain Dew, and play Dungeons and Dragons in Mommy's Basement. Pirates were a little bit more highbrow. Pirates' system of constitutional democracy predated constitutional democracy, democracy in France, Spain, the United States, and arguably even England. Leeson writes, some pirate ships had detailed rules for everything from profit sharing to trials by jury. Just because an outfit is stateless doesn't mean it can't have its own form of statecraft. Of course, pirates were also criminals, often vicious ones. But even their reputation for cruelty had a purpose. The Jolly Roger, that skull and crossbone flag, was a brilliant bit of marketing, according to Leeson, because it telegraphed to the victims that they should surrender without a fight or face horrifying consequences. As the dread pirate Robert says in The Princess Bride, once word leaks out that a pirate has gone soft, people begin to disobey you, and then it's nothing but work, 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 work all the time. You mock my pain, 
Sorry. I died that day. Okay, I'm not going to do the whole movie. That's the business many of these hackers are in. Pay up quickly or meet a horrible fate. In the form of economic calamity or leaked personal information in the golden age of piracy, governments responded to the pirate threat in all sorts of clever ways. One response was the issuance of letters of marquee and reprisal. Mentioned in the U.S. Constitution, this granted private captains the authority to wage war on enemies, specifically pirates. Our 21st century enemies are doing that already, perhaps as a great cyber-faring nation. It's time we do likewise. What do you mean I have to pay for that? I gotta pay for my college before I get my transcripts? That's not fair. Joe Biden helped me pay for my college, good sir. Joe Biden shouldn't buy into the college loan pity party. Focusing on the plight of student borrowers, a well-to-do demographic, has done a distinct and egregious disservice to those in the country who are truly struggling. Go figure. 90% of our population who copulated and got their wife pregnant gets $300 to $250. Really? How about we take some of that money for the underprivileged? How about we take some money? Isn't that what the Democrats do? Aren't you supposed to give to the needy? Aren't you supposed to take care of the freaking ghettos? Why? Why can't you do two-year college for everybody? Why just give it away for free? Guess it doesn't matter. The public discourse on higher education seems to have lost its grip on reality. Daily news reports calling for a student loan bailout demand our sympathy for this highly educated group and the proposed federal policies that are being floated around today, mostly ignore their obvious economic and social advantages. While the proposal to implement widespread cancellation of student debt is the most obvious example of this misplaced sympathy, there are plenty of others. A recent news article seemed to beg for the reader's sympathy for a group of students in Massachusetts who were unable to receive their degrees or access transcripts because of overdue balances from unpaid tuition, room, board, and fees. These aren't library fees. It's not a blockbuster you didn't rewind your fucking video. This is tens of thousands of dollars. Higher education pricing can be opaque and frustrating. But if you were buying a house, you couldn't get away with only poning up 90% of the down payment. This happened to me when I went back to college a few years ago and I had a moment of complete disillusionment that I needed the degree to be successful. And it's bullshit. You don't. don't, Just because I went to college, I don't have my degree. I deserve a degree for the amount of books that I've read and the nonsensical garbage that I've disseminated through my life. But I will tell you, I don't need a degree to be successful. The problem is, is that when I had to go back, I had 30, 40, 50 some odd hours of credits. I don't remember how many pending. It was essentially my two year degree was just a couple credit hours shy. I guess that would be 60, I think, like 57, 58, whatever. So I reached out to Eastern Wyoming College and I said, hey, guys, I need my transcripts. And they're like, dude, you owe like like money. Where have you been? We thought you died. I'm like, oh, well, I didn't. You owe us money or you can't have these transcripts. I'm like, oh, my God. So I call my wife. I'm like, honey, I'm done. I'm screwed. She's like, how much is it? I'm like, I don't know. I don't remember that far. I was drunk most of the time. I'm drunk now. I don't know. So I called the college. I said, ma'am, can you tell me how much it is? She's like, yes, it's $126. (laughs) Hold on. Let me go to the couch. There it is. I found it under the cushions. Will you take a credit card check or would you like me to wire that? PayPal, eBay, what do you want? But it's not that way for these people. 
And yes, honestly, I didn't ask what that charge was for. It was probably for a freaking Coke and, and a croissant for breakfast. It's been collecting interest. Whatever it is, I owed it. I had to pay it. I didn't beg them. I didn't make up excuses. I just said, okay. But this is what we're talking about here. Tens of thousands of dollars. You don't deserve your transcripts because you paid for a service. Just because you have that knowledge doesn't mean anything. You have that knowledge. They can't take that away from you, but they certainly don't have to give you a piece of paper for it because that piece of paper costs you $120,000, $60,000, whatever to earn and to receive. A car dealership would never let you drive off the lot without paying all the dealership fees. If you've managed to get yourself all the way to the cusp of college graduation, this notion isn't beyond your grasp. What are you, an educated moron? Higher education and earning students are discovering that you have to pay your bill before you can get your degree. Sure, there are issues with surprise billing and transparency of financial aid process that should garner some indignation. But it's hard to conjure sympathy for the financial woes of a group of young people on the cusp of gaining access to earnings and employment opportunities that will put them among the most privileged in the world. Only a third, 36% of U.S. workers, have the luxury of a bachelor's degree. And in the global population, the share is even smaller. Our system of higher education has been designed to allow universal access to opportunity through nearly limitless subsidized borrowing. It's not designed to deliver degrees on a silver platter, and students are not guaranteed a payoff. They need to do their part to make it work, or mommy and daddies do. The federal government offers a tool that its citizens can use to do better themselves financially. While tools offer shortcuts to an end result, they don't do so without demanding effort from the user. College is no different. This means paving or paying the fees due before receiving your degree and paying back the money you borrowed and invested in an education that paid you huge dividends in the form of employment and earning opportunity. To illustrate this point further, workers with college degrees have a distinct economic advantage on many fronts. First, they earn more. Census data indicates that the median annual earnings for Americans with a bachelor's degree was about $52,000 in 2017. This excluded workers in graduate degrees who earn even more. Compared with workers, just a high school degree who earned a median annual salary of $30,000. An annual income of $52,000 in 2017 meant you were earning more than two-thirds, earning more than two-thirds of all American college graduates less likely to be unemployed. Not only do college graduates earn more, they are also less likely to find themselves unemployed. The unemployment rate for workers with a college degree is always significantly lower than that of workers with just a high school diploma. And this is especially true during downturn when unemployment among less educated workers generally spike versus the more modest increases seen among college educated workers. The unemployment rate for workers with a college degree is almost half that of workers with just a high school diploma, 6.7% compared to 3.7%. Maybe you're thinking, sure, what about all that lousy debt they had to take out to get there? Great question. It comes down to one simple calculation. Would you rather be a 24-year-old entering the labor force with just a high school diploma or the one with a bachelor's degree and $30,000 in debt which is the average level among students with debt who complete bachelor's degrees, along with higher pay and more consistent earnings opportunity afforded by college degrees, make that debt worth it many times over. Researchers have consistently shown that colleges offer a huge ROI, return on investment, even when students have to borrow to get to graduation. 
That's why most borrowers, especially those who succeeded in completing their degree, are able to pay back their debt with reasonable monthly payments relative to their income. Just over one-third of Americans have the economic and social privilege of having a bachelor's degree. This is an elite group with access to opportunities that other Americans and people around the world can only dream about. Can we stop pretending that their debts are, or other inconveniences are worthy of our collective sympathy, and more important, our tax dollars? Focusing on the plight of this well-to-do demographic by news media and policymakers has done a distinct and egregious disservice to, to those in this country who are truly struggling. Everything's free. Free healthcare. I want free college. I don't want to work anymore. Whatever happened to work ethic? Whatever happened of getting blisters on your hands? Whatever happened about putting your day before your own self-interest? When the alarm clock goes off, you get up. You don't set it 15 minutes prior and then sleep through and snooze two times. You get up, you take a shower every day, you make your bed, you get out, you pour a cup of coffee, you throw it down your gullet, and you go to work. The privilege that we have isn't about white or toxic masculinity or homophobia or sexism. It's about laziness. We have a phobia of hard work in this world. We're afraid to earn our living. Now, this isn't everybody. And if you're going to take offense, piss off. If you wake up every day and you drive an F-150 and you freaking work in the oil fields or you get blisters on your hands and you're a waiter or I don't care what it is, good for you. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about this generation, the generation that feels that they should be CEOs and vice presidents after a year or two. I will make something very, very clear. Nothing's going to change this. We can give away free this and free that, but employers are still going to want the most educated and people with experience. I don't care what degree you have. I don't care if it says you just walked off the cross. You're not going to get that job. It is so few and far between. Whether you go to the top 2% of the workforce at Apple or you go to the freaking garbage truck. Time and service mean everything. Experience means everything. Because people with experience are wiser. They're smarter. They understand what hard work looks like. And they're never, ever going to get a handout. And they know that. Because they've been doing it for decades. When you've been doing it for five minutes, and you immediately hold your hand out and slap theirs away and discredit them for being boomers or old, not only does it make you look impetulant, it makes you look like a fucking baby. Pay your debts. If you can't afford it, declare bankruptcy, and I'll see you on the other side in 10 years. Otherwise, put the pacifier back in your mouth, shut up, and get down to the basement. Folks, that's it for tonight. You can agree with me, disagree with me. You can love me or hate me. All I ask is that you don't unfriend me. Remember, you can find me on my social media right over there. You can also like, share, and subscribe, which I would appreciate. Follow me, like it on YouTube, whatever you like what you heard tonight. Maybe you'll come back tomorrow and listen again. Either way, I appreciate it. And it keeps the lights on, and God doesn't kill a puppy when you throw me a like. Lastly, I will go out on what I always go out on, the Veteran Crisis Hotline. 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. Traumatic brain injury, PTS, stress, anxiety, depression, all real things. And veterans are facing this every day. We lose 22 a day. Reach out. Talk to a vet. If you can't, you can reach out to me, and I will help you make that call. If that doesn't work, you can go to don'tunfriendme.com. Click on the VCL link. You will be connected via Skype to 
a VCL operator. It's worth the call. And if you are a civilian, please reach out as well. They will take care of you and never turn you away and get you the help you need. Remember, it's Military Appreciation Month. We're red on Friday, folks. We're a little ways away from that. I will see you tomorrow for another episode. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And remember, be nice to each other. It's a great world out there. Pay your debts. Joe Biden, stop spending money. Have a good one.